At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Governor Brian Kemp wants a special session so legislators can address Atlanta's crime problem. Homicides are up 60% over this time last year, and some residents say they're living in fear. Can any type of legislation help at this point? If so, then what kind? And will legislators launch a nonpartisan attack on crime? Glad you're here for this week's edition of Political Breakfast. I'm Lisa Ram with Democratic strategist Darren Johnson and Republican strategist Brian Robinson. Hey, guys. Hey, hey Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Glad to have you here today. I, you know, I have to start off with this first. The governor is running for re-election. How much of this, Darren, is a political ploy versus genuine concern? Well, Lisa, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, let's just deal with the obvious. The governor is up for re-election. Uh, everything that he's going to do from this point on, because he's launched his campaign, is going to have a great political slant to it. However, I, I will be fair to the governor and say that I know that this is something he personally is concerned about. Um, I know he's talked to a lot of people in different counties and cities, just really trying to get an understanding of what exactly is happening. I mean, I think he would agree that it's definitely been caused by this deadly pandemic, but also there are things that the state can do. Uh, to try to work with cities and counties to deal with this crime crisis. So, I, I, again, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, but I will I will say this. I do think that we have to give the cities and the counties the authority and the rights to deal with this issue. When you start having states sort of interfere, and this, I'm not saying this way he's doing here, he's trying to um, have a special session and wants to get involved and do what he can as governor. You don't, you don't want to create that dissension. And so I think the next phase... What I would like to see is county and city leaders work with the governor to deal with some of the crime issues we have across the state. Brian, your thoughts? Do you concur? It's politically brilliant to bring this up for the special session. Now, we've been wondering a little bit, like, what would be the other thing that Governor Kemp would put on the call? And the call is like, uh, gives the, uh, the governor the ability to tell the legislature which issues they can discuss during the special session. It's a huge power. And he's using that power here very strategically to talk about an issue that is going to play well for Republicans in the 2022 elections because they can post up with the Democrats so effectively. You know, the Democrats have got to worry about a very big anti-police part of their base who blame the police first. You see the, the, the police as inherently racist. Mm-hmm. And there is a defund the police movement out there. That that, that was the, the one bumper sticker message that really kind of cut through for the Democrats last year. It was a bad idea, but it was something they got behind. And in fact, we had a defund the police motion come before the Atlanta City Council that got a significant amount of votes. That looks really dumb in hindsight. It looked pretty dumb at the time. So 
this is Kemp and David Ralston and the Senate leadership seizing on an issue that's good, good politics because people are scared and they see Democrats as uh, putting us in a position that won't fix the problem. With that said, map out what could unfold at this special session. Is there room for partisan politics or is it extremely important that legislators show Georgians they are on the same page for this very important issue? You know, you can't take uh, politics out of politics. And so, uh, you know, a special session is the most political time there is when the main part of the call is redistricting. So that is the most partisan, the most political thing that politicians ever do in mm -hmm. office. And that's highly contentious. And is, it is going to be the biggest show uh, you know, in the circus. It's going to be the center ring. But the crime issue is something that can drive some conversations, can perhaps take some pressure off of the redistricting process to uh, create another ring of the circus. And uh, so I think it's important in that way to kind of release some of that pressure. We knew there would be some other issue that they put on there as a shiny uh, little object. And this is what the shiny little object is going to be. And to, no, do we need to look unified? No. What we need to do is make the Democrats look out of touch and uh, bad on this issue. That's what we need to do. So, Baron, are the Democrats out of touch? You know, you have folks sitting at home thinking something needs to happen now and not four or five, six months down the road. So is this practical to have this special session to deal with something that's so fluid and so in motion? Well, the first thing we got to do, Lisa, is that I, I reject this notion from my friend Brian that is basically putting politics before a solution-based initiative. The solution is that Democrats, Republicans, rural, metro, uh, the speaker, the governor, the mayor, the city council president, all over the state, county officials need to work together in a bipartisan way to deal with our crime crisis. And so Brian just laid it out, Lisa, and, and, I, and I, I know he probably didn't intend to do this, and maybe he did. This special session is all going to be about trying to uh, gain, you know, Republicans, you know, the credibility that they haven't really earned around this crime issue. And then the other thing I want to say is this. The vast majority, Lisa, all of our top Democrats in the state of Georgia has never uttered the words defund the police, ever. But because you had a few people in our party that did say it, Brian wants our listeners to believe that this is a universal position of Democrats. And that's just simply not true. And if he's going to do that, then I can blame everything that Marjorie Taylor Greene has said on him and the Republican Party. But, you know, we've given him an opportunity to make a distinction there. So I think that this special session, Lisa, and I'm gonna talk to, you know, folks that I can, to make sure that it's not about gaining political points. You cannot play politics with people's lives that are being lost. You know, when these criminals go out uh, and, and shoot people, they don't ask them if they're a Democrat or Republican first. They don't ask you, did you vote for Brian Kemp or did you vote for Stacey Abrams? Or did you vote for Donald Trump or vote for Joe Biden? This is a nonpartisan issue that need leaders to lead and they need to work in a bipartisan manner to make sure that we deal with this crime crisis, not try to spread lies about defunding the police. That's not going to bring people together. And more importantly, it's not going to keep us safe. On the subject of police, uh, Republican House Speaker David Ralston said he'll advocate, he wants to advocate $3 million in additional law enforcement funding. And then you have all the Atlanta mayoral candidates weighing in. Um, increasing the police force is a popular approach. Brian, does it feel like the only approach at this point to combating the crime in Atlanta? 
Well, Atlanta's police force is significantly down. And is there any wonder? I mean, they uh, have been demoralized. They uh, still haven't recovered from Officer Rolfe being indicted last year. That case is still ongoing. And those charges haven't been dropped yet. And let me tell you, police officers in Atlanta of every color, every ethnicity responded to that and said, why in the world would I go into a violent situation if I'm going to get blamed for whatever happens? And so you've seen them back off. You've seen response times go down. I had a friend who called 911 in Atlanta and got a voicemail last year. Oh my. It, it, it's a crisis. And, you know, it's, it is an issue to push back a little bit on what Theron was saying. It's, uh, it is a wedge issue that splits the Democrats. Now, I'm not, I've never said all Democrats support defund the police. You know, uh, wiser heads amongst Democrats knew just how destructive and stupid that messaging was. But there is a huge anti-law enforcement segment of the Democratic Party. And that is something that is ripe for exploiting, you know, to to raise the issue and make the Democrats pick a side. Theron, the governor wants laws passed to help fight crime. What kind of laws can make an immediate impact? And keep in mind that the police chief is saying guns, guns, guns is the problem. Illegal guns are being sold. Uh, people are breaking into cars, stealing guns. Do you think that's going to creep up into the special session? And, and then how well will that go over, uh, given Governor Kim's stance on gun control? Well, I, I think the one thing that we also got to point out, Lisa, and I'm going to say this over and over again, is that I I do not think that defund the police is a big wedge issue within the Democratic Party. I mean, if Brian is going to make that statement, then I can say that all the Trump people who created sedition and basically tried to destroy the most sacred uh, part of our U.S. government, which is our U.S. Capitol, they actually um, did more to harm police officers than, than any Democrat has ever done. I mean, those people who were rioters, who stormed the U.S. Capitol, they actually killed a police officer, right? But I did, I did not come on this podcast and basically label all Republicans or majority of them as not, you know, sort of supporting police officers. So I think, I think we got to be careful um, with the rhetoric. Um, on, on this podcast. But but ultimately, Lisa, listen, I think that this special session is going to be tough. And let me just tell you why. Mayors that are Democrats or Republicans, it's always this issue about the state intervening in local control governments, right? So the one thing that the governor has to do and the speaker has to do is, and they did a little bit of this, but they didn't do it in the beginning, is that you got to have them at the table before you go to the public with the special sessions. There needs to be many, many meetings to talk about how these cities are trying to use funding from the federal government to increase cameras. That's one. That's a lot what you heard about in the mayoral candidates too. We need more uh, tag readers. Uh, we need more training, uh, Lisa, You know, particularly training police officers how to deal with hostile um, people in hostile um, um, situations. And so I believe that while it is bad, we are in a crisis, there's got to be collaboration on the front end. If there's no collaboration and, and sharing of ideas, and you open this up with a special session that looks like Republicans trying to do exactly what Brian just said, use this to their advantage for politics. Don't really care about people losing their lives, not trying to really get guns off the streets, but use it as a wedge issue to divide Democrats and pick up Republican votes, then it's just going to be chaotic. But if they can get together on the front end, 
come up with some real solutions that are proven to work in the cities around the country, then I think we can have a beneficial special session. Well, you know, you can't take politics out of it. And I think the Democrat focus in the hearing that happened this week, but also in their rhetoric that, that you see coming out of City Hall is that, you know, this is all about a gun control issue. You know, that is partisan rhetoric. That, that is a partisan viewpoint. It's not different than what the Republicans are doing. The Republicans have a partisan viewpoint. The Democrats have a partisan viewpoint. The city is saying, if you want to deal with our crime problem, and I want to quote the mayor correctly, and yes, we do have to deal with it and some of the things that the state has proposed. But Brian, you got to deal with the fact that we are a open carry state. That's what they say. So it's not a partisan attack. They're saying that we need to really look at changing that law. That's what they're saying. They don't, they don't necessarily point, point to Republicans, but we are a open carry state. And so to the chief's point, if people go out and break into cars to steal guns, and then they can just carry those guns, and there's the state law that permits them to do so, I just think that's got to be in the conversation to come up with a solution to deal with the crime problem. That's what the mayor and the Democrats are saying. I do want to point out that it, it's not legal to break into somebody's car and then carry that gun around. That's that's not what open carry allows you to no, do. No, I'm very aware of what you open can carry, but the bottom line is the more guns you have on the street, the more people who are able to just carry these guns openly, and many of whom probably don't have the proper permits and the proper licenses to carry, Brian, that's got to be a part of the conversation. You don't want to have that conversation because you're afraid in your party that you're going to be you know, crucified for sort of violating someone's Second Amendment right. What Democrats are saying is that we got to have a conversation about responsible gun ownership. And that's something that I think that Republicans, quite frankly, um, um, support, Brian. Republicans don't support people who have mental illness to be able to just openly carry guns in Georgia. And I hope to God that you don't support that. But you don't want to talk about that because Republicans are just trying to get rid of Democratic mayors, i.e. Keisha Lance Bottoms, because they have a crime problem. Again, Brian, I hope to God that you, Karina, or me or China don't ever um, have a home invasion. I have a good Republican friend who just got his home invaded in, in, in Buckhead, in Tuxedo Park. And guess what? The black invader didn't ask you. Hey, are you Republican or Democrat? Right? And so I think we got to take the partisanship out of this and work together to come up with some solutions. The only thing I want to say about that is that your viewpoint, there is a partisan viewpoint. That's all that I'm saying. You you are approaching it the way a Democrat would, which is fine. That's your right. I'm asking for responsible gun ownership. How is that partisan? Responsible gun ownership? When it gets down to uh, gun rights and open carry and all that stuff, what you're talking about is a partisan viewpoint. That's all. No, I think we need to look at the open carry. And that's all I'm saying. If other states are not open carry, but if, if someone can come up with data that shows that crime can be reduced in this state and in this city, if we really did not become remain a open carry state, then I think Republicans and Democrats should entertain that data. Getting around the gun issue, Mayor Bottoms came up with a plan and uh, is reportedly uh, wanting to create an office of violence reduction and invest 70 million to develop and implement strategies to address crime. Uh, maybe, you know, gun issues will be a part of that. But strategies at this point, Brian, uh, will do nothing to calm a lot of nerves out there. Do you agree or disagree? Nothing's going to calm nerves until we see a reduction in crime, particularly this random crime. That's what is particularly terrifying. And the home invasions, like what Theron just mentioned, yeah. And of course, you know, Republicans believe that we should all have gun rights to defend our homes against people who 
break into them. But well, Mayor Bowens wants to develop strategies to address crime. And, and you know, strategies may not do a lot to ease the nerves of, of people who are nervous and, and fearful at this point. Do you agree or disagree? Lisa, nothing's going to ease nerves until we see a reduction in crime, particularly the random violent crime that we've experienced. People being shot while jogging, shot while uh, uh, going to the grocery store or Home Depot, stabbed while on a uh, walking path. And those are the things that are terrifying people. And we don't need another layer of bureaucracy. We need more police officers on the street. And that is to her, uh, to the mayor's uh, defense, part of her plans, adding 250 police officers. I think we need to add more than that in the city of Atlanta. We need to do that by showing police officers some respect and supporting them and not firing them and indicting them every time something goes wrong without due process. Now, that's the kind of stuff that's going to really undermine. And Keisha Lance Bottoms does have some responsibility for that and what happened last year. And we got to fix that kind of stuff. We got to let police know that they're going to at least be given a fair hearing, which they have not been getting in Atlanta. And I also agree with her on adding some security cameras. It's a little, you know, I kind of feel like we're getting into this Chinese surveillance world a little bit. And that's going to be a problem with some libertarians. But I'm okay with it uh, in, in certain public spheres if it's going to help identify people who are perpetrating violent crime. So I give her kudos for that. But she's talking about having people being able to report directly to her on, on re reducing violent crime. Look, that's the police department. That needs to be the police chief. That's what, We don't need another committee. We just need to uh, give police officers respect and then give them authority to go out there and fight crime and give them the manpower they need. Theron, uh, what about you? Do you think Mayor Bottoms is on a good track here, especially since a lot of people thought she was abandoning the city by not uh, running for re-election? Well, that's two different topics. Let me deal with the first one first. Um, I, I think, look, I've been very honest about the the need for everyone to work together to deal with this crime crisis that we're dealing with in the city of Atlanta. And I do believe that this $70 million plan is the right direction. And Brian and others don't want another committee, but this has sort of been this mayor's philosophy um, and sort of, you know, making sure that she gets all the anecdotal feedback to move forward to deal with this crisis. Now, the one thing that Brian and Republicans don't want to give her credit for, for Lisa, is that we are actually trending in a better direction, not a great direction, not a good direction, but we are trending in the right direction. You know, arrests are up. Um, they are arresting more people, street racing. You know, one of Brian's and others' perfect subject, you know, you're not seeing as much of that anymore, right? Right, Because you've had a sort of multi-district, uh, sort of multi-district sort of collaboration to deal with that. But particularly, you know, the, the, we're not having as many murders and you do have these random shootings. And so I think the mayor is doing everything she possibly can to make sure that she deals with this. But to Brian's point that, you know, people want to see it just go away completely. And this compares to what's going on in Chicago. Look at what happened in Washington, D.C. Um, at the Nationals game. You finally got a chance to focus on their stats. But as far as the mayor abandoning the city, Lisa, I think I, I do push back on that a little bit. I think she made a personal choice uh, that is a political choice to say, look, I'm not going to run for reelection because I want to do other things. And more importantly, you know, I, I want to be there for my family. But she is still working as mayor. She's coming out with this plan. And, you know, Republicans and others don't want to give her credit for that. But she's coming up with a plan 
to deal with this. And I believe, and I'm going to make a bold prediction. I believe by the end of her term, I want to come back on this podcast and I want people to really look at where we were now and where we're going to be at the end of her administration, the beginning of January. And I guarantee you that you're going to see this plan that she's put in place that's worth $70 million actually deal with the overarching issue um, that really affect the crime uh, crisis in the city. So she's not giving up. She's coming to work every day to work hard. And, and I will say this too, this due process, yeah, you have some officers who maybe didn't get the due process that they deserve, but the majority of the officers feel like this chief, Chief Bryant, is a pro APD officer chief, right? He's not someone that turns a, you know, their, his back on his officers. He is actually being criticized for being two pro APD officers, right? And so I definitely think they got the right leader to get us out of this crisis. Well, the governor wants a special session to take place come fall, so I'm sure we're going to revisit this very important topic then. We're going to take a break here, and when we return, we'll talk about Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar coming to town, along with our U.S. Senate Rules Committee to examine voting restrictions here in Georgia. Also, Governor Kemp appoints six new judges, and the nation pauses to pay homage to the late Congressman John Lewis. We'll be back in a moment. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to this edition of Political Breakfast. A rare field hearing of the Senate Rules Committee uh, came to Atlanta and collected information on Georgia's new voting law. Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota chairs that committee and led the effort. I'm going to start off asking both of you, Theron and Brian, was anything tangible accomplished here? Brian, I'll begin with you. Yeah, what, what was accomplished was uh, Senate Democrats were able to tangibly come to Atlanta to try to give support to the political rhetoric that they've been spreading falsely about Georgia's election law. You know, they went out so far on a limb about Jim Crow 2.0 and the these assertions that this is intended to suppress black people from voting. They, they, they had such outrageous rhetoric that they couldn't walk it back. You know, they're, they're out on a limb. So they have to go out there and, and do all of these things. They have to have a DOJ case. They've got to have a, a U.S. Senate hearing. But they keep getting uh, um, shown up for who they really are. They keep losing the arguments. You know, Governor Kemp did a response along with Attorney General Carr and Barry Fleming, the state house guy who was instrumental in putting the law together. And you know, Kemp made the point in that news conference that weeks before the law was passed, the Democrats had gone out there and bought the web domain Jim Crow 2.0. They were wedded to this rhetoric. And when the final product came out, and it in no way uh, matched up with what they had been saying about the law, they were already bought in. They couldn't, they couldn't change course. And so this is just more evidence that they, they have to uh, 
try to make their rhetoric look accurate, but it's not working. The middle knows they're lying about this law. Aaron, your your thoughts here, are they losing the argument? No. And the, the fact of the matter is, Lisa, I've said this, and I'm probably going to make you go crazy because I'm going to say it over and over again. You know, we wouldn't need a Senate rules committee about voting and voting restrictions and how it um, could possibly, you know, discriminate on a certain ethnic group if the Republicans did not pass Senate Bill 202. If they had just taken their loss like, you know, professionals and say, you know what, we just we didn't this wasn't our turn. We had a bad president. We didn't have the best candidates. We had a terrible message and the Democrats just worked harder than us and had a better campaign strategy and we're going to give it a good old college try in 2022, then we wouldn't have this negative attention on our state. But because Republicans decide to pass a voter restriction bill in Senate Bill 202, you did have to have Senator Kovacar come to Atlanta to talk about some of the concerns and the testimonies that you heard, Lisa. I mean, you heard people who talked about some of the challenges that they have, but also some of the challenges that they foresee if this bill is um, going to be in law in 2021 and 2022. So I think the goal for Democrats was to continue to have a transparent process uh, about the legal and political process that is going to happen leading up to the votes next year. And so, um, look, I do believe this, and this is probably going to shock Brian, I'm a little concerned that we are focusing as Democrats a little too much on what's wrong with the bill and what happened. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for making sure that we have the lawsuits and that we push back on it because it is restrictive. What we got to be careful of, Lisa, is not to become, uh, not to actually get to the point where our voters become apathetic, right? Because we know that the Republicans are fired up to come back out. There are still some there that believe that the, the election was stolen and they support Trump. And I'm sure Trump's going to tell them to probably stay at home again. But we got to turn the page here in, in, in the moment to basically make sure that we educate people uh, just in case the Senate Bill 202 and all the things that are in it are actually, you know, going to be uh, what people are going to face at the election um, booths when it comes up in, in this year and also next year. And so I just believe that while we should continue this legal process, we should continue to fight. I do think we need to educate people and put more emphasis on that to make sure that we don't see an apathetic Democratic base that don't come out to vote. Brian, can you expound on the fact that there were no Republican representatives at the hearing? You know, I know they thought the hearing was a waste of time. Wouldn't it have been a good idea for Governor Kemp to just show up or a lieutenant governor or the attorney general just to show up? Brian, can you expound on the, the fact that there were no Republican representatives at the hearing to deflect what was being said? Wouldn't it have been better for Governor Kemp to, you know, to show up? He responded later. But uh, how valid is his argument on, you know, at this point where, where he didn't even show up and, and give them that respect? Well, this was a Democratic show trial. It was not substantive. What they were saying about our law is a lie, you know, right down to you can't have water in line. You can't give out water in line when you can have all the water in the world that you want. You just can't go harass voters who are you know, getting close to the door of the polling place. And it would have made no sense. There was no upside for a Republican to take part in what was a political stunt, not a substantive 
policy discussion. So I, I think it was the right thing. They held a news conference. They gave their perspective. It is available for anybody to listen to. And so that is a place where you can hear the Republican point of view. You can hear the pushback on what the Democratic uh, senators were saying. Uh, and it was done in an atmosphere where you don't have a Senate committee chairman who gets to control all the rules and gets to rig the game. So it, I would never have suggested that a Republican go to that. There was absolutely nothing in it for them. All right, before we close out this segment out there, and you want to respond to this being a, a political stunt? It definitely was not a political stunt. You know, Brian and my, and, sorry, it definitely wasn't a political stunt, Lisa. Brian and I both work for members of Congress. I, I, I would hope that he still takes the, you know, legislative branch of our, you know, country's government to say that anytime a Senate hearing happens anywhere, if anybody is invited, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you should definitely at least have the courtesy to show up. Um, maybe the atmosphere and the um, wasn't you know friendly enough for Republicans to want to show up. But Lisa, that therein lies my my point that I've been making for months on this on this show is that this was a this was a perfect opportunity for Governor Kemp or anyone, all these state senators who have been going around town talking about the Senate Bill 202 to really just come and have a open conversation about it. But, you know, they chose not to show up after being invited, I'm sure. And so, you know, they're the ones that saying that it was actually a partisan attack. No one in that hearing actually made it a partisan attack message. It was all about what they believe is in the bill and what they they want politically and legislatively to happen. Governor uh, Kemp had a busy week. Um... And he appointed six judges in the midst of all of this taking place. Um, one being Judge Verda Colvin to replace Harold Melton on the state Supreme Court. She's moving up from the Court of Appeals. Any thoughts from either of you on what this move does to bolster the GOP stance on the new voting law that is being challenged in court? Well, I think a lot of those challenges, Lisa, will be in federal courts. And that's kind of where you're going to see that play out more than anything else. Now, you, you do see some local isolation challenges. There was one that was thrown out in Henry County earlier this week. So that would be one where that would be pertinent. I think where this is important for the GOP is uh, now Justice Colvin is a black woman and she is the only black woman on the court at this juncture and the first black woman to be appointed by a Republican governor. So I think that is of import. This is someone that Kemp had also put on the appeals court before, so she was elevated from the appeals court. And I think that shows a commitment to uh, inclusion, to diversity. That has been true throughout the Kemp administration. It is something that he has prioritized, and it is true on state boards. It is true on the courts. It is true for DAs. He has a great record of appointing a diverse group of public officials who reflect Georgia. And so that's the import, Lisa. I think this shows how the party is changing with leadership like Governor Kemp's, that Black Georgians are overwhelmingly Democratic. And there's a belief that Republicans can chip away at some of that block vote that you have in the black community by showing that we, we want you, you know, we want you in the club. We're going to treat you fairly. We're 
and give you equal access to, to good jobs in, in these administrations. And I think that's an important signal. And over time, it's going to make a difference. You saw, and Theron and I talk about this a lot, you know, whereas Republicans lost some white Republican-leaning suburban women or formerly Republican women, uh, Republicans also picked up some Latino and Black votes in 2020. So there is some churn going on, and stuff like this is going to make a difference. Uh, is that your takeaway, Theron? It's encouraging that uh, it's uh, his appointments uh, uh, appeared to be uh, inclusive and, and one of diversity. Well, Lisa, luckily, I know my good friend Brian's heart, but um, and I know it's in the right place, but got to be a little careful not to sound like a good old boy when you say we're going to welcome you to the club and we're going to treat you fairly. Um, you know, he this that, that that's something I'm sure my people, um, you know, black people would not respond well to um however you know what i'm uh, saying you know i'm to the party kind of sound like you know remember the dukes of hazard or something like that when you were we we're talking about that um but I love hazard. yeah i'm sure you did um but lisa look i think we got to be careful uh and i don't want to put words in your mouth but you know you're a black woman i'm a black man um yes the governor should be commended for doing his job and and appointing the best person available and if that person happens to be a person of color, and particularly a black woman, then and she was the most qualified right person for the job, that should be celebrated. And 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 Brian is right. Look, Governor Kim has has made it a point to try to appoint people of color to different positions. I will give him credit on that. But again, it doesn't necessarily erase all the Republicans' wrongdoings, all the racist things that they've supported that has disenfranchised black people and brown people. And Brian and I both know that his party is a long way away from fully comprehensively embracing diversity because you see it in the numbers and you see it in some of the things that they support. So while the governor is to be commended, he reported a lot of people who are qualified. I don't think that this is going to be this breaking point where black people all of a sudden start supporting Republicans more. Uh, I do think that we have a long way to go um, and let's just see what Republicans continue to do as this process plays out that will disenfranchise black and brown voters. No, I, I don't think I disagree with what they're saying. And, I, and frankly, I don't think he's disagreeing with what I said either, um, whether it, it sounded like boss hog or not. But I, I doubled down on what I said, and, and partly because of what Theron was saying, because I agree with what Theron is saying. Republicans have to go out of their way to let no to, to let black Georgians know we want them, that you are welcome. Because I think for the longest time they didn't feel welcome. And I based that on stuff Theron said before. And uh, and other black friends have said. And I, I think we are making it that concerted effort. We want to see you. We want the party to look like Georgia. Uh please be a part of this. And and uh and it's going to work out in the end because you're going to get appointments. You're going to get uh, nomination to office and uh, and you're not going to be excluded because of race. Well, I think uh, one person that uh, a lot of people on both sides of the aisle would agree fostered inclusion would be the late Congressman John Lewis. Uh, the nation paused to pay homage to him by uh, christening a Navy ship over the weekend, uh, one year after his death. There, is it bittersweet, though, since 
John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act is not making its way through Congress. One thing that was uh, near and dear to him and to a lot of uh, his followers. Well, Lisa, as you know, I, I, Congressman Lewis is my hero. I think about him every day. And I'm going to have to say what he would say if he was still alive right now after listening to what Brian has said and what Governor Kemp did this week. That is that if Republicans really want to support black and brown voters and you really want to get more black votes, then encourage all your Republican colleagues to vote for the John Lewis Voting Advancement Act. Because to me, that is what, you know, what Republicans won't do. I mean, just because, again, it's a big deal. Don't get me wrong. I mean, anytime anybody is appointed to a justice position uh, to be a judge is a huge, um, you know, celebratory uh, moment. However, Lisa, that that is bittersweet because you have a governor who's done this. And again, he should be applauded. But you have members of his party that won't even pull this up for a vote. But I want to say this, too. You know, last Saturday marked the one year death of Congressman John Lewis. And I spent time with him days before he died. And I just have to speak up and say that what he see, you know, what if he was still alive and what he would be witnessing right now in this country with the refusal to even, you know, pass this, this law and Senate bill 202 and Republicans not showing up to a hearing and, you know, to, to see all these things that are just facing us as a country, I think he would be extremely disappointed. So it's going to be my life mission to make sure that I continue to get in the way, speak up, speak out, get into good trouble to make sure that we hold Republicans accountable for doing the right thing. And I would say this, you can't just celebrate him and Dr. King on one day, and in the other 364 days, do everything to go against what they stood for in their life mission. Brian, any parting words on the anniversary of Congressman John Lewis's death? We certainly are very proud that he is a Georgian and of the legacy that he left. I think having the the Navy ship named for him is, is really awesome. And I think you're going to continue to see ways that he is honored. And... I don't think that one of the ways that he needs to be honored is in passing a horrible voting bill that defies the Constitution, that is unneeded. You know, you had Senate Democrats down here this week saying that the Republicans in Georgia are trying for the state to take over local election decisions and to take that power away at the same time that they are pushing two bills in Congress that would federalized state elections, which are constitutionally the state's purview. And those bills should die in committee. They should never uh, move through the process because they violate a state's right to determine how it runs its elections within limits. It's, you know, you got to make sure everybody gets a, a fair shake and every legal voter is allowed to vote. But those are abominable bills and I'm glad they're not going anywhere and I think that there are many other better ways to honor the legacy of John Lewis. Brian and Theron, thanks for the conversation. Let's do it again next week. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Theron. I'm Lisa Ram. Thanks for listening to Political Breakfast. 
Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. The world has changed from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E.